can see The water's raging at my feet I can feel The breath of those surrounding me I can hear The sound of nations rising up We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome I can walk Down this dark and painful road I can face Every fear of the unknown I can hear All God's children singing out We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same true in his strength there is nothing we can't do yes we know there are greater things in store we will not be overtaken we will not be overcome the same power that rose jesus from the grave the same
Amen and good morning. Bless Jesus. Mm, same power. Lord, it would be here today, we pray. Uh, real quick, let me give you a page number. We're going to be on page 1306 of the Church Bibles, 1306. We're going to be in Romans. Lord's still working me through Romans a little bit there. Um, prayer request. Little August Haynes is getting stronger, gaining weight. Still having a few issues with his oxygen levels, so they're, I think they're gradually turning the oxygen down, but he's still having a few reflex, little acid reflux problems that are causing some breathing issues, so he's getting real close, I think, you know, hopefully, bless the Lord, he'll be home, and I think he started out at two something, was it two pound? Oh, one seven, wow, man, thank the Lord. Uh, anyway, so he's up to 614 now, man, that's amazing, thank you, Jesus. Uh, and then we're going to remember Allie, who has home now. She's had her surgery, and I guess they're going to be doing testing for how everything is, right, where she stands at this point. Okay. And Briley, our new friends in the uh, Denver area, we'll continue to pray for her, um, that the Lord would just work in a mighty way in that family. And uh, also, Dale Gibbs, Roger's dad, has been in the hospital with fluid around his lungs, and uh, they've been draining that. And uh, hopefully in the next few days they'll get him clear where he can go home. But he's still in the hospital even today, so we'll remember him. All right. Um, and the Colbert family. They, you know, Nelson passed away this past week, so we'll remember the Colbert, Colbert family. All right, we're going to be in verses, chapter 12 of Romans, verses 9 through 13. And in my study Bible, this group of scriptures has a title in it that was added obviously by uh, the people that organized that but it says behaving as a Christian this is an amazing amazing set of verses here let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Wow, if we could live those words, Lord help us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we bless you so much for a chance to come into your house and to give you thanks and honor and praise. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded today while we're here in your presence, Lord, who you are and who we're not and how bad we need you. So we bless you uh, for all you're doing in our church family. I pray, God, you continue to be with the Colbert family, with the Lawson Nelson, with Corrine and, and that family, Lord Jesus. We just pray for strength and peace and that they would feel your presence there with them. And uh, Father, for these... Um, that are still having trouble. We thank you for the amazing miracles you're working for little August. And I pray the nurses and doctors around him would even see your hand in that, Lord, that they would be beyond these things that are happening and his health would be beyond what they could take credit for. It would, it would point to your hand. And uh, for Allie and for Briley, Lord Jesus, you are the one we depend on in situations that look really hard. And, uh, Father, this is when you shine. And so we just lift them up to you. 
And obviously we pray for physical needs, but Lord, it's spiritual needs that we all cry out for, Lord, uh, for each of us. And all these on this list, Lord, I pray that spiritually they'll be touched and healed as well. Thank you for these words of your scripture, Lord Jesus, that instruct us how we're to behave. And Lord, give us strength and power that we can do that so that we may bring glory to your name, the name above all names, Jesus. We pray all these things. Amen.
was rich. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I
took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I
Good morning. Well, what great music to praise the Lord to this morning. Amen? Yes. And this last song, I just love this, how God brings songs that drive us into the fullness of his message. And, and uh, this place of uh, the blood. And it, it is truly the message of Romans. And so I just sat there and thought, yes, Lord, this is the song we should be singing every time we teach on Romans. <laughs> because it says there's nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood. Amen. As it calls us sons and daughters, we are ransomed by the blood. And I thought, yes, Lord. And it brought me from the darkness into the wonder-working light. Glory to his name. Amen. So open with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in continuing in Romans. We're going to be on page um, 1306. Page 1306. We've been in Romans for about nine or ten months now, and understanding the fullness of what Paul is trying to help us to see and to live by, really. And so the first few chapters of Romans are all the way up to Romans 12 are about God's perfect plan of redemption. How God's plan has made mankind righteous. And you know that word righteous means in right standing with God. So Paul is working through these chapters to help us understand that because of God's mercy and grace, then starting in chapter 12 on through the rest of Romans, it's really how you live. How if you have received this wonder-working power that has made you righteous, that has put you in right standing before God only by the blood of the Lamb. If you understand what you've been given, that it's brought you out of darkness and into light. In that place, your life would be changed. And that's where we talked a few weeks ago in chapter 12. And he said, you would make your and present your body a living sacrifice because of what God has done. And so 12 and 13 and 14 are in that understanding to make your body bow down to the glory of his great name. And I love the scripture that Bill chose for today that I see that God laid on his heart, and it is a scripture that I actually had in my uh, notes today, so we'll look at that a little more, but it is a place that is exactly that. It's how we should live. It's a call that Paul is saying, walk worthy of the calling, and this is what it should look like. Today, we're going to be in chapter 13 and and continuing where Daniel finished up last week in uh, verse 7 and taught a little bit again in this place of um, how we're supposed to live. And Daniel brought a powerful message helping us to understand when we're walking in alignment with the Lord, what that looks like in submitting to our government. And so just as we want to start in chapter uh, 13, verse 8 today. Let's 
back up a little bit and transition into this place that he's talking about. So look at verse 6, chapter 13, verse 6, on page 1306. That's interesting. <laughs> I just see that. Anyway, for verse 6 it says, Because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. This word fear really means reverence, reverence to respect to who deserves respect in this place. So starting in verse 8 now, he starts out and he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Sometimes people misunderstand this verse and they say, you're not supposed to owe anyone and so you can't have a loan for your house and you can't have a loan for your car and you can't have a credit card. And they pull from this scripture. I don't believe that's at all what this scripture is talking about. Even though I think God doesn't want us to be burdened by debt, I don't think he's saying that you can't go out and take out a loan. I think that he's referring to what he was talking about right before that. And he's saying not to owe anyone on your taxes. You should pay your taxes. And he's saying if the customs that you want to um, give respect to whoever deserves respect and, and to uh, honor whoever is honor, he's saying these are the things that you owe to other people. But he comes on and he says something very powerful right there. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. So he's saying that, you know, I don't want you to owe on these things, but he's saying you're going to have a continual debt to love one another. That's what Paul is saying right here, that your debt will never be paid. You will always have this debt, and this debt is to love one another. So the interesting thing, when I began to study this place, I uh, saw that there's two words here. It says, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So you see, it says that we have this debt to love one another, and then he says, for who loves another has fulfilled the law. So there's two another's in this one verse. You see those? Interestingly enough, Paul is using two different words for what we have one word in English. So we miss a little bit of the understanding that he's trying to give us through the Greek words. This first word that says, you owe not... Um, owe no one anything except to love one another. That word is um, alion, alelon, alelon. Uh, that's the best Greek I've got. So, <laughs> so, and that word, I love this, is means each other of the same kind of the same kind. So what the Lord began to show me is that this word is also used right across the page there in chapter 12, verse 16. It says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do you see that on verse 16? 
chapter 12, verse 16, says, Be of the same mind towards one another. So what Paul is using is this word that means these are people of the same mind. To love one another, those are the people of the same mind. Well, if you turn back a page to chapter 12, the very first of chapter 12, it shows you that Paul is writing right there in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's calling out the brethren, the people of the church, the brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are like-minded, those that are in one accord is what it calls it in Acts. And he's saying, love your brethren. And this whole part of chapter 12 is to the brethren. He tells, we talked about this several weeks ago. He says, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, to the brethren, you're going to be given a measure of faith. He's saying, to the brethren, you're going to be gifts that will glorify God and Feed the brethren of the church and minister to the brethren. If you go back to this scripture that uh, Bill read starting in verse 9, I'm just going to read that again, Bill, with you. And it says, let love be without hypocrisy. This love, this agape love is for the brethren. The brothers and sisters in Christ. And it said, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhorred what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. See there? There's your brethren again. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And it goes on. These are things that Paul is bringing out for us to walk in among those who are committed, their, have committed their lives to the Lord Jesus. The brethren. But then you go back to chapter 13, verse 8. And you, you see it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, the brethren. Okay? Then he says, For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Hmm. But the another is not the brethren. The another actually is a word called heteron, and it means a different kind. A different kind. So Paul is saying, in this way, you should love those around you and those that are inside the church. And you should 
walk in a place that glorifies God. But then he says that you should also love another, another kind, a different kind. And that is one that is outside the church. And he says, and that has fulfilled the law. He's saying, I want you to love those inside the church, and I want you to love those that are outside the church. Now, let's go on and look here. I want to show you a couple of things. Yes, okay, in this place of chapter of chapter uh, 8 right here, when it's talking about this place, I want you to see that this O is, is talking about a debt that you cannot repay. So what I want you to understand is, is that Paul is not calling us to love one another in this way because they deserve that and we are indebted to them. But rather, he is calling us to walk in this way because we are indebted to him for the great, wonderful power of his blood that brought us out of darkness into light. And because of our great love for him, then we owe this debt to him that is lived out in the lives of others. In fact, I wrote it down as he was giving me this understanding. He said, we don't owe them. Rather, we owe to them because of what God has done through his plan of redemption. We owe to them because of what he has done in our lives. The debt is paid to them even though it's owed to Jesus. He took me back to a scripture in Romans 8. Take, let's go back a couple of pages. Chapter 8, verse 9. And really, if you go back and read throughout all of Romans, you'll see this understanding scattered throughout. Says, starting in verse 8, says, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but... I'm sorry, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul is writing us right here, and he's saying, because of this place of the Spirit, of the Spirit living in you, you're living out this place that you have been given 
by Jesus. I love when it says right here, but you are not in the flesh because the flesh cannot please God. So if you live in the way that you want to live, the way that mankind thinks they ought to live, you're not going to please God. But through the spirit that dwells in you, you can live out this kind of love, this agape love. So the word love, let's turn back to our verse in chapter uh, 13, verse 8. And, and this word, he says, owe no one anything except to love. And this word love is the word that we've studied many times. It's this place of agape. And, and I wrote down that it's actively doing what the Lord desires. That's just what we were reading in chapter 8. Not what the flesh desires, but what the Spirit of God moves in us to do. That we would join up with the desires of God. So actively doing, actively doing what the Lord desires, that's agape love, joining in his kind of love. Jesus' love that's sacrificial, that sacrificed himself for you and I. I also wrote down that by this, by his power, but yet through our choice, it brings unconditional sacrificial love without desiring a return. Christ living his life in us and through us as a believer. It's exactly what we say all the times that we would want to be the hands and feet of Jesus it's exactly what he is saying. He's saying, my spirit lives in you, that my life would be lived out of you into those in the church and those outside of the church. As I was studying, I was so reminded, I'm sure you are too, of 1 John chapter 4. If you'll turn with me, page 1401, page 1401. Starting in verse 7, John writes the same understanding as what Paul is teaching us. John understands as well. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And this is that word agape. For love is of God, and everyone who is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In other words, he's saying, if the Spirit is truly in you, the love is in you. To love those around you in the church and to love those outside of the church. If you truly are a child of God, the Spirit truly does live within you. And the Spirit truly brings forth this love. It won't be something that is not there. 
I think it is a way we can test ourselves and say, am I really a child of God? Do you have this love? I see this in Paul. I see this in John. And I want to continue on here to read a little bit more in verse um, verse 9. In this, the love of God has manifested, has been revealed towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. I love this understanding. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been and this word perfected really is that telos, and, and it means the end of the goal. It means what the whole thing was about. And it, it's, a, it's been perfected. It's, we've reached the goal in us. So you see, it says, no one has seen God at all. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been the goal in us that others might see his love and see him. Who? Those in the church and those outside the church. That we might truly walk in a way that those who cannot see God would see God through us because his spirit would live in us. I want to take you to John, uh, the Gospel, John, page 1241. Chapter 13, page 1241, John, chapter 13. Verse 34 and 35. John writes with the same understanding. He says, Jesus is speaking here, and, he, and Jesus is saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This new commandment, he says, a new commandment I've given to you. Now, I want you to hold your place right here. Put your marker here. We're going to come right back to this. But I want you to turn with me to Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 19, it's on page 134. Leviticus 19, 
And let's start in verse 17. You know, Leviticus is one of my, if you ask um, Abigail what my favorite chapters in the Bible, and she would say it would be Leviticus. That, uh, her granny loves Leviticus. And uh, I love Leviticus because it is the chapters, uh, the, I'm sorry, the book that has God's chosen, well, my goodness, can't get that out. Words has his words more than any other book in the Bible. So his very direct words are in Leviticus. And so he is writing here. He's giving the law to the children. And Moses is, is speaking the very words of God here. But starting in verse 17, Moses writes, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So God is giving Moses these very words to bring to the children of Israel, his laws, his ways. They define his holiness. And he says right here, he says, you should not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So he says you can come and uh, give an, uh, a rebuke here to your neighbor, but not with sin in your heart. You can't be angry. You can't be holding a grudge against him. He goes on and says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the, the law established that you are to love your neighbor. And throughout the law, God went on to explain how that would look. And we'll see that a little bit more in Romans. But already the law, you shall love your neighbor. How? How? As yourself. And most of us love ourselves pretty well. So we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. But when Jesus writes back here in John, go back to the place you were going to hold for me. And in verse 34, Jesus says, a new commandment. Now this word is not really new like it's brand new. This word is a word in the Greek that really means to be refreshed. And it also means not found like this before. In other words, it wasn't how it was that he, that he was teaching about how to love before. He's going to refresh that understanding. And he tells us how he does it. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. He wants them to love as he has shown them how he loves them. You see that? A refreshed commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not just as how you have loved yourself. It's more than that. This is that agape love that only can come through the power of Jesus. Only when God's Spirit is in you are you capable of giving this kind of love 
to your brethren and to those even outside the church. It's a high calling that sometimes I think we are casual about. I pray this would step on every one of our toes, and I pray that because it would change us, that we would see this and we would be moved to say, yes, Lord, I want to grow into this new understanding, this refreshed commandment that says, no, you can't love just as you love yourself. You have to love in this sacrificial place. This unconditional place, not expecting anything back, but only giving, pouring out his love to those around us. He goes on to say in verse 35 there in John, he says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I think this is one of the most challenging places in the, in the Bible. It's, it tells us how we can see whether or not we truly are his disciples. And that is, is if our heart is filled up with the spirit that has this outpouring of love that can only be given if he is present. As I was studying, I couldn't help but be challenged by this and thought, you know, there are so many times that, Lord, you call us to love. Do I truly love in the fullness that you're desiring? Or do I give the love I'm capable of giving? You see what I'm saying? It has to come in this deeper place. Interesting thing, now let's go back to Romans, page 1306, that as Paul writes, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 8, <clears throat> he says, and we'll read this again, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see, the law is exactly what was given that Moses wrote that God showed them in the in the commandments to love your neighbor as yourself but Paul is also referring to this place and you'll see this where he is referring to what Jesus said that you've got to love them as I love them and then he goes into the commandments in verse 9 and he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not mur murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandments, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying all of the laws and the commandments that were given to Moses, that were given to the children, places that we are called to live by, those moral understandings that present an understanding of God's holiness. He's saying all of those, all of these, they all, uh, how's, it, how's he say it in 10? Love, uh, I'm sorry, right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're all summed up. That as some places it says they hang on these commandments on to love God and to love your neighbors. But Paul says they're all summed up 
all these places of how to treat your neighbor. You can't be having adultery. You can't be murdering. You can't be coveting. These are ways of how to love your neighbor. I want us to hold our place right here, put you a a marker here, and I want to go to Matthew uh, 22. It's on page 1140, Matthew 22. Verse 37. We're very familiar with this place where the Pharisees are coming and testing Jesus. And in verse 36, say, say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, on this understanding in the in the original law, in the law that God gave to Moses, all of these places that are about how to love your, how to love God and how to love your neighbor, they hang on these two commandments. Paul is saying they're summed up in this understanding of loving. But Jesus is calling us to even greater places. He calls us to love as he loves. Now look in, in uh, verse 11. It says in Romans 13, verse 11, page 1306. It says, and do this knowing the time that now is high time, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we than when we first believed. He says, and now, he says, and do this, knowing that the time is now high time to awake. So you see again, he's using times here. Do you see that? This first place where he says, and do this, knowing the time. This is a great understanding of a word. It's uh, kairos, and it doesn't mean chronological time, but rather it means appointed time. It's a time, it means divinely set up. So Paul is writing, and he's saying, you've got to come and love one another. The brethren inside the church, those outside the church, and you've got to love them in a way that they would see Jesus, and he's saying this, and do this knowing the time, knowing this is a divinely appointed time, that now it is high time to awake. Now, that word is another word, and that word about time means the hour. It is now the hour. In other words, he says the chronological time is slipping away. 
And so God has prepared a divine time, an appointed time for you to what? To love this person, to love that person. So when God brings you an opportunity to love someone, to love on someone, to care about someone, to meet a need of someone, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, it's divinely appointed. Isn't that awesome? Paul is saying this is divinely appointed, and he's saying, wake up. Wake up to it. Don't miss this appointed time. Because God has set it here for you to be a servant to this person that you might love them sacrificially and they might see Jesus. He says, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's saying time is passing by. You became a believer and time is slipping away. You've got to be useful in God's kingdom. You've got to be doing kingdom work. He has divinely established these places. Then he goes on and Paul writes in verse 12. He says, the night is far spent. The day is his hand." Is is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What Paul is saying right here is he says there is a spiritual war going on. There is a spiritual war going on. And he's saying you need to put on your armor and you need to cast off the works of darkness. Now, why is he saying that? Because he's been talking about that throughout Romans, the places that if you are in Christ Jesus, you can no longer walk in your flesh, that sin has no dominion in your life and that it has to be gone and you have to walk in the Spirit if you're in Christ Jesus. And so he's coming right here and he's saying, cast off any works of darkness, anything that's left if we've not talked about it, he's saying, get it out. Anything that is darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. And he's saying, put on the armor as we would read in Ephesians 6. And that would be a great place for you to read this week. Go back and read on your own about Ephesians 6 and putting on that armor of God because you're walking into a spiritual battle that God has prepared divinely for you to be working for the kingdom work. Paul goes on and he says, let us walk properly. Uh, this word is, is better to be understood as honorably or set apart are sanctified. It's this place Paul's been talking about in many of his chapters that says we are sanctified. We are set apart from the world. So he says, let us walk properly, being set apart, being honorable to him as in the day, not, not in revelry. And this word means not partying all the time, and then he goes on to say, and drunkenness, and in lewdness, that sexual impurity, and lust, 
and and when you look up this word of lust, it means to um, reject restraints and not in strife or quarreling and not in envy or jealousy. He's saying you can't walk in this kingdom work that God has for you to do if you have these things in your life. He says you've got to get rid of those. Cast those off. And then he says in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's an interesting place because we don't think about putting on Jesus. We think about Jesus coming to live in us. But what he is saying is you have a responsibility as well in your salvation. Jesus is willing to come and live in you. You have to be willing to put him on. He sacrificially died for you. But you have to be ready to cast off the flesh. The last scripture I believe we want to look at today is in Galatians um, Galatians 5. It's on page 1339. No, it's not on page 13. Uh, it's page 1331. I'm sorry, 1341. I'll get that right. It's on page 1341. And it is Galatians 5. You know, it's so fun to see over and over again how Paul and, and the writers uh in the New Testament, John and Peter, and they all have the same understandings and they all go back to what Jesus was teaching and, and Jesus went back to what God was laying out as provision in the very old, earliest part of the Old Testament. And so Paul writes right here, starting in verse 14, uh, 13, I'm sorry, 13. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty... Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one, devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which that's lustful and impurities of the sexual impurities, lewdness, idolatry, 
sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's a powerful understanding that I think sometimes gets miscommunicated. And people believe oftentimes that they are in Christ Jesus, even though their lives continue to walk in the flesh. And Paul writes here very clearly in Galatians, and he says, if you continue and you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he calls us to walk in the things that are of Jesus. And he lists these that would come with his spirit, that we would be able to check our spirit and see if, in fact, these things are there. I love this place in Galatians. I've told you before, I feel like it's a checklist that we can come and go, do I walk in the fruits of the spirit, in love, in joy, in peace, in long-suffering, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control? Do I walk in these places that those around me, that those I have been allowed to be in a divine appointment to talk to, do they see the fruit of God's Spirit? That's why Paul is calling us to say, walk in the Spirit, that you might know where you are and others might see Jesus. Stand with me, please.
Amen. 